So my title for today, and I'm, I'm not going to continue in the book of Acts, big temptation, but I, I really want to talk about Romans chapter 9. And the title, we, we sang a, a song last week, a chorus or worship song, well, I don't know what to call them, a future hymn maybe. But the, the chorus was, catch me up in your story. It's, and, you know, all my life for your glory is the next line. And that just resonated. That's why, you know, that at, there's some point, I hope every new believer has had this moment where you just say, God, whatever you want, send me anywhere to do anything for your glory. I just want to know you. And actually, Romans 9, the, the next line is Israel and the nations. And, and so we're going to look at Romans 9. But let's get started. Holy Spirit, would you come not only empower us to be the witnesses of the reality of the crucified and risen Christ, but that you would, that you would empower us to understand that you would teach us all things, that we would understand the significance of your sovereign mercy. We would understand what, you're, what you have done and what you're doing and what you will do with all the nations and with your chosen people, Israel, in Jesus' name, amen. So I wanna just give a, a quick overview and I'm, I'm racing the clock so I'm going to talk fast and I'm giving a, like an overview of Romans chapter nine. There's so many treasures you could preach whole sermons on half of a verse, you know, but um, I, wanna, I want you to understand something here, the flow. So Romans, you know, this amazing epistle of Paul is the gospel of the righteousness of God. And Romans chapters one through eight, Paul lays out salvation, the need for salvation, um, of the Jews, the Gentiles, the Jews, everybody, that salvation is by faith. And it comes to a crescendo at the, chapter eight is like the, the gem, the high point, the crown of the whole, the whole epistle. It's life in the spirit, it's adoption as son, it's the restoration of all things, it's the greatest, it's the central promise of God's faithfulness that if we love him and we're called by his purpose, that everything will work together for the good as, as we're pursuing his calling and so the, uh, and his purpose. And so it comes to a high point, verse 35 of Romans 8, who shall separate us from the love of Christ? And then Paul says in verse, or that's 35, verse 38, he says, I am sure, or I am persuaded, if you have the King James, that neither death nor life, and he goes through this whole list and he says, nor any other thing in all creation, verse 39, will be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. Woo! You know, that's like, that's it. Wherever two or more gather in his name, I am here. That means Jesus himself is here. And uh, that's powerful. And then it seems like, you know, a lot of times we're reading it, we get to chapter eight, we're happy, we made it through chapters two and three, like, oh, that's depressing, and we understand a little bit about faith and about who we are. But then we get to Romans 9, 10, 11, and sometimes it goes over our head like, well, okay, Israel, okay, chosen, not, you know, and oh, chapter 10, you know, by faith, <laughs> we're say, we believe in our heart and confess with our mouth, we'll be, we get that. But, and then we get to, 
to chapter 12 and we think like, hey, chapter 12 through 16, application, what we're, how we're supposed to live. Chapter 12 starts out, I appeal to you therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, present your bodies as living sacrifices, be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Yeah, you know, then it goes into the functional gifts and how we're, and it seems like, what are, what are those three chapters there? You know, and some people actually, they just feel like it's a parenthesis, like, I don't know why Paul, it must have to get, get his Jewishness out of him or something, but, but we almost ignore it, and by ignoring it, we're ignoring the greatness of God. And so it's actually a really central part of, of and it's in the right place. How many think the Holy Spirit inspired scripture the way he wanted it, you know? So the, uh, even though we might not understand it, it's how he wanted it. So Romans 9 through 11 covers the issue of God's faithfulness to his promises to Israel. And Israel, by the way, is the only nation in the world, only people group in the world who, with a complete history, they have a past, a present, and a revealed future. <laughs> it's pretty amazing. Yet in Paul's experience, there's this, there's this, you know, this dis dissonance, I guess is a good word, a conundrum. It's a dissonance like, wait, I'm preaching the gospel in the synagogues and only a few are receiving it and a lot of them are getting mad and they're, you know, rioting and, and having, and so then he goes and he preaches to the Gentiles and a whole bunch of them accept the Lord. And it's like, wow, you know, and so this is the context, not only that Paul had, but many first century Jewish background Christians had, like, what's going on here? And certainly he's writing to the, the Jewish believers and the Gentile believers in Rome, which, you know, started out like most churches as predominantly Jewish background. And then, uh, you know, actually by persecution, all the Jews were expelled from Rome for a, a decade or so. Ananias, and, not Ananias and Sapphira, Priscilla and Aquila were two of those. They were in Corinth for a while, and then they came back to Rome when, when they got a new emperor. And they come back, and this Jewish church they had is now more of a Gentile church. And it's like culture clash. Like, wait a minute, they're having spare ribs and, you know, popcorn shrimp in the, in the church potluck? Like, where did that happen? And it, it, I mean, and that's not the only, I mean, many, I'm just picking on the dietary stuff because it's easy and we most understood it. And so he's addressing this. And it's a question not just to the Jewish believer, background Christians, but to the, the Gentile background, you know, pagan background believers. So chapter nine deals with Israel's past election that God chose them in eternity past. And, he, and Israel's history, we just read the Old Testament, it magnifies God's faithfulness, his righteousness, his justice, and his grace. They're all there. Chapter 10 gets into the present, the, you know, the difficulty, why it is that, that there's the rejection of the Jewish people of the gospel, which in a tantamount way might seem they're being rejected by God, but like, it's, it's, he's, got, he's got the whole world in his hands, you know? And these don't follow neat chapter breaks, you know? They're like starts in the end of chapter nine and goes through almost into 
part of chapter 11, but chapter 10 deals with the present rejection, and chapter 11 gets to this glorious crescendo of that all Israel shall be saved, and then just breaks out, and that if, you know, if their rejection was the riches to the rest of the world, can you imagine what their restoration is going to be? And he breaks into this amazing doxology, you know, that, that, from him and through him and to him are all things, and, and it's all good. But so why did he write this? I mean, those were, you know, he wanted to present the flow of God's way, God's basically the, the history of his salvation and dealing with people groups. But he had other issues. Number one, Paul had a bad reputation among the Jewish people. They considered him a traitor. And, and on top of that, you know, he had, a, which he has, he has a prayer request at the end in chapter 15 where he says, pray for me because I'm going to Jerusalem, prayed that I would be delivered from unbelieving Jews, which sort of happened but sort of not. I mean, God answered their prayers, but maybe not in the way Paul was hoping, and he got to Rome by, via shipwreck, via you know, a, a lot of adventures. But, and then there's, but the main reason I believe he's writing is he's, he's clarifying God's character, that God keeps his promises, you know, and that, that many, many, many Jews will come to faith and, uh, you know, and he just cries out as, as he's considered all of these things. And he's, he's bringing, this is new revelation. He's bringing stuff out of the Old Testament and putting them together in new applications as the promises made to Israel themselves go through the cross and become promises to all believers. It's stunning. And he just breaks out, oh, the depth of the riches and wisdom and knowledge of God. It's just, ah, you know, and you kind of picture Paul just falls on the floor. He passes out from the goodness of God. So let's dive right into it. Um, you know, Paul, first of all, Paul, I mean, this is where he's, he's revealing his own heart, and he, and he shares his own anguish that he has over this issue. Romans 9.1, I am speaking the truth in Christ. How many know if you're speaking the truth in Christ, it's so help me God, you know? I am not lying. My conscience bears me witness in the Holy Spirit. So he's in the Spirit saying this. Verse two, that I have great sorrow and unceasing anguish in my heart, the deepest part of my being. Verse three, for I could wish that I myself were accursed, I, that I was anathema, that I was cut off from Christ for the sake of my brothers, my kinsmen, according to the flesh. In other words, this pain is so great in him, and he has like this intercessory desire, like if it would do any good, I would give up my eternal salvation to purchase theirs. But that was already done by Christ, but it's, it's how he feels. I mean, it's the same way. Moses had this same interaction with God in Exodus 34, he's up on the mountain and God says, okay, I'm just gonna kill them all, Moses. What do you think about that? And he says, well, if you kill them, kill me too. Now, Moses wasn't being an intercessor. He was just saying, well, then he identified, like if you're gonna kill them, kill me too, because this, this whole idea stinks. And so, um, and so God said, okay, let's, let's talk some more. <laughs> and, uh, and then he, but he promised Moses, as truly as I live, all the earth's going to be filled with my glory. Um, so let's get into, so he, this is how he introduces his own heart. You know what he's doing? I mean, in one thing, he's letting all the Jewish background believers know, like, ah, oh, he's still one of us. Those, those people that think he's a traitor, like, like they're wrong. Okay, verse four, they are Israelites. He's talking about his own people. 
his kinsmen according to the flesh. They are Israelites. To them belongs. And then he gives this list of treasures that have been given to the Jewish people and through the Jewish people to the whole world. I mean, each one of these, if we were preaching topically, each one of these you could have a whole sermon on and be blessed out of your socks and edified. To them belongs the adoption. They're the, you know, they can call God their father. They're called, you know, he said, Israel's my firstborn son. That's what he told Moses. He said, I'm gonna, go, I'm gonna deal with Pharaoh. And um, the, to them belongs the adoption, the glory, the, the, the manifest presence of God, the, the, a, a revelation of something that's beyond this world, the covenants that he made, the, the different ones. I, I can't break the, sorry, I have to speed preach here. Okay. The giving of the law, which gave the culture of God to them and to the rest of the world. The worship. They were the only nation that actually had access to God in a face-to-face encounter and a way to do it without getting killed. They had the worship and it kept their heart and they had the promises, the promises that the, all the promises of God find their yes in Christ. To them belong the patriarchs Fathers are really important. Any of you young people have been taught at the university that patriarchy is an oppression? Marx was wrong. Okay, to them belong the patriarchs. God lo- loves, you know, we honor our father and mother. That's the first commandment with the promise. And from their race, according to the flesh, is the Messiah, the Christ. And then I love Paul's Christology. Who is God over all? We were singing that, weren't we? Blessed forever, amen. Sometimes people will say, oh, well, you know, in the New Testament, the early believers didn't really believe Jesus was God. They just believed he was the Messiah and close to God. Now, how about Colossians 1, where it says he's the firstborn of all creation? No, here Paul is declaring he is God. He's not part of creation. He's called the firstborn of creation. That was a rank and an office. It didn't mean he was created because we actually understand from John 1 and from many other places that by him were all things created. Hebrews 1, the gospel. John 1, on and on you can go. That, and so here Paul baldly declared, baldly means with no hair on it, right? Baldly declares who, that Christ, who is God over all forever. Amen. He's blessed forever. Amen. So, then, so now we get to verse 6. And verse 6 actually contains two thesis statements in one sentence, which would flunk you on an essay, but it's like he's covering a lot of ground quickly, and I'm trying to do the same. Romans 6, the first part. But it is not as though the word of God has failed. That becomes why he wrote Romans chapter 9, chapter 10, chapter 11. Basically, the whole New Testament you could throw in there too. But but. That is the thesis of of these three chapters, but the next clause is the thesis of the rest of this chapter up to about verse 29. For not all who descended from Israel belong to Israel. See, this is what these Jewish believers are saying, where's the rest of them? Did we get, like, we're, we're in the wrong crowd. You know, I mean, imagine, how many, have you, have you seen The Chosen? Have any of you seen The Chosen? You know Nicodemus and his wife? They were like high, high up members of the, 
of the Sanhedrin, imagine them. This is their culture. This is the way they live. This is how careful they are. They meet Jesus like Nicodemus met Jesus, became first a secret believer, and then later. He, but imagine they walk in to a bar, biker church in Arkansas or Louisiana. And man, there's all these guys with beards and tattoos and, you know, vests and no shirt under them and they're all eating crawdads and and saying yeah the bible says and you know i mean there's like a culture clash do you understand it this is why i mean this was not easy okay that's all i'm saying for for these people so so he's not all who descended from israel belong to israel so he's saying the reason you're here and not all your kinsmen are here is because not all israel is actually the israel of god okay which Paul references at, at the end of his letter to Galatians, which a lot of times people say, well, that applies to the whole church. And maybe you can make an argument for that. But you see, he's actually talking about the, the, the remnant, the chosen ones of Israel. I'm just saying, that's my opinion. Um, so so he, now we're getting into his, his presentation. Um, and his first point is that God keeps his promises and he's absolutely free to make choices about his promises. He is free to narrow or expand the limits of his promise and he, it's not, he's not taking a vote or a poll among us saying, what do you think? Could I do this? Could I do that? And so, these, and these are national, not individual promises. We can apply them individually, but when, if we only see them as individually, we'll get really messed up theology. But if we see, he's talking about the people of Israel and all the other nations of the earth. And so he starts to explain that not all Israel is Israel. Okay, first point is found in, he said, let's talk about Isaac and Ishmael. They both had the same father, they had different mothers. Let's see what happened there. Romans 9, verse 7. You got, are you have your Bibles? You have your things? Okay, and the notes uh, you can get on, on the website if you want to go back and, and mull over this and see if you, if you think I'm right. Okay, <laughs> verse 7. And not all are children of Abraham because they are his offspring. So just because you were born as a descendant of Abraham doesn't mean you're his child. You know, I mean, the, and, but here's the quote, through Isaac shall your offspring be named. And in the Greek, that word named is literally called. Like I'm gonna call your offspring through Isaac, it, not through Ishmael. Verse eight, this means that not it is not the children of the flesh who are the children of God, but the children of the promise. Paul writes a lot about this in Galatians, that are counted as offspring. Counted is what counts, okay? Verse nine, for this is what the promise said. Oh, what promise? Okay, quote, about this time next year, I will return and Sarah shall have a son. This is what he spoke to Abraham when Ishmael was already like 12 years old and Abraham was 99. He said, no, Abraham, <laughs> that's not, you didn't get it. This is my promise. Next, this time next year, I will return. Sarah, have a laugh. Abraham broke out laughing. Later, Sarah broke out laughing. And this, okay, second, you know, exhibition, exhibit, exhibit B. Jacob over Esau. God chose Jacob over Esau. Now, these two had the same father and the same mother. Verse 10. 
And not only so, but also when Rebekah had conceived children by one man, our forefather, Isaac, Yitzhak, he was mentioned just above there, though they were not yet born and had done nothing, either good or evil, or in order that God's purpose of election, let's all say that word, purpose of election. Let's say it again, purpose of election might continue, not because of works, but because of him who calls. Now, this is super important. The, so basically, they, this, was, this decision was made before they were born. God was able to tell Rebecca, hey, this is what's happening, Rebecca, Rivka, and uh, though they were not yet born, they hadn't done anything, good or bad, but God's purpose of election is beyond time, and it's not according to works. It's his choice. Not because of works, but because of him who calls. So what is purpose? I better finish this. Verse 12, she was told, the older shall serve the younger. Verse 13, as it is written, Jacob I loved, Esau I hated. Like, wow, that doesn't seem fair. God's not fair. He's God. Okay, but anyway, I'll explain that. By the way, these are national things. Now, God, you know, how many of you, there's some foods you love and some foods you hate? You know, like some foods that I love, some people here, I can't even say what the things I ate in Korea, it would offend some people here, but I, but I liked them. But there's some things I've never eaten that I think I don't like. Like, I don't think I like buttermilk. And why would I think that? Because some people love buttermilk. Buttermilk's what's left over when you make butter. Because my only association with buttermilk was at my uncle's back porch where they had a cream separator. And, and after they'd milk the cows, they'd bring in this milk and, and separate the cream and the milk. And everything smelled like rancid butter and there were flies everywhere. So when my Aunt Marcine would say, you want some buttermilk? I'd go, no, I don't want to eat anything. I used to lay, <laughs> anyway. We've all had those kinds of experiences, you know? And some people, like, this is hilarious. My Korean friends come to America, and, and this, you know, I'm sure some of you are totally delivered from this, but I'd say, hey, you know, I'm with them out in, in California, in Southern California, I'd say, hey, what kind of food do you wanna eat? Oh, anything, you know, anything, like Japanese, Chinese, Thai is okay, not so good. And I say, how about Mexican? They go, uh, how, about, um, how about Japanese? <laughs> because there's something that, I don't know, it's, it's a palate. Well, God has a palate about people. He loves and gives grace to the humble. He opposes the proud. He, he's high and lofty, but he dwells in those who have broken and contrite hearts. It's like he has a choice. And so he looks at Jacob and Esau. He knows by foreknowledge what, kind, what their temperaments are, and he prefers Jacob over Esau, probably on, as an individual level. But he's actually talking here. This, comes, this statement comes from Malachi, and he's discussing the nation that descended from Jacob and the nation that de- descended from Esau. And he pref- definitely prefers the one that descended from Jacob. So this is, but all of this is known ahead of time. And not only that, it's part of his purpose. His purpose, this is a... a a Greek word, prothesis, which you can recognize the English word thesis, which gives the reason for something, and pro means it's ahead of time. Like a prologue of a book means it's before you read the book, you read the prologue, but the, or it's the first statement of, of something. 
But the, he's saying, before any of this happened, I had a purpose. See, I had a purpose. I know how I want history to end. Before the foundation of the world, the lamb was slain. Before the foundation of the world, God had a purpose of election. Now, election sounds scary. It has nothing to do with our American elections. Maybe we wish it had more to do with our American elections. And in a sense, it does because he's the Lord of all history. But this word means to be called out from a group. And so there's a whole group, and some are selected out of it. Now, Paul, on Wednesday night, Paul Martini gave a great illustration at a human level. He said, when I was in high school, we liked to play dodgeball, and, uh, and we'd, you know, a group of us that were really fanatics, we'd walk into the cafeteria and say, who wants to play dodgeball? That was the call. And then some guys go, I want it, I want it. They get great, you're on my team, that guy's on his team, and that, they were chosen because they responded to the call. That's at a human level. But I, I want to say God's call is a little more than that. When God calls, it's a summons. He's a king. You know, when he says, come, you come. And he doesn't just invite Jacob to a certain privileged position. He brings him to it. It's not a matter of chance, but of determination of God's will. Now, you're thinking like, well, I don't think that's fair. But I'm telling you, if you're here and you love Jesus, it's because he called you before you were born. He called you. And so it seems like, well, I made the choice. <laughs> you made the choice because he set it up so you would be in. I mean, God played chess with me. I mean, I, you know, think he played chess with Saul of Tarsus, who was killing Christians, threatening them, throwing them in chains. Couldn't, fed, meh, one more Christian, the world's a better place. Get rid of the Christians, make the world a better place. And God says, I pick him. And it wasn't Paul saying, okay, <laughs> I guess I'll try it. <laughs> anyway, it, I mean, it's good because this, this gives us confidence that he called us. Even if we feel like we were unworthy, we're right. But his calling isn't based on our works before they had done anything good or evil. How many know they, both of them did some good things and some bad things? So, okay, so that, now the third it, the third example is Pharaoh, verses 14 18. So Jacob and Esau were, were brothers, full brothers. Pharaoh, it's like, well, what about him? This is to show us that God, can, God has plans for bad people too. Okay, oh, that, doesn't, that sounds kind of scary. Verse 14, what shall we say then? Is there injustice in God's part? By no means. That term, by no means, translated in King James as God forbid, literally means this cannot exist. I mean, it's like you have just, that's an impossible concept that there's injustice with God who is perfect in every way. The, for he says, verse 15, to Moses, I will have mercy on whom I have mercy. I will have compassion on whom I have compassion. Verse 16, so then it depends not on human will or exertion, but on God who has mercy. And human will or exertion, NIV says human desire or effort. New King James says him who wills, and King James says for him who willeth, him who wills or him who runs. It doesn't matter how hard we try. That's what it's saying. It's not human will or exertion, but it's God who has mercy. I mean, it sounds like, well, what? he's not mean, he's merciful. The wonder isn't that that uh, some people aren't chosen, the wonder is that anybody's chosen. 
Do you understand? We all are guilty. We've all fallen short of the glory of God, and we all deserve condemnation. But his mercy has saved us. When the grace of God appeared, by his mercy he saved us, not by works which we have done. And then he washes us with the regeneration. I mean, this is, so notice that from, as Paul's writing, it's all about God's mercy. So in other words, we're not complaining about God's standards. We're celebrating his mercy. Amen. So, and we'll get to his standards later. For the scripture says to Pharaoh, for this very purpose I have raised you up. Like, Moses, go ahead and tell him, here's the reason you're so powerful and the ruler of this empire. For this very purpose I raised you up, that I might show my power in you, which certainly God shows his power in every ruler, in, in whether it's distorted or not. But actually, he's gonna show his power in Pharaoh's whole realm. Again, he's talking about nations, not just individuals. In you that my name might be proclaimed in all the earth. And certainly that happened. The people, did you hear what God, did you hear what Yahweh, the God of the Israelites, did to Egypt? And how, the, how they crossed the Red Sea? Like, don't mess with them. And that's, I mean, Joshua got some mileage out of that. Okay, verse 18. So then he has mercy on whomever he wills, and he hardens whomever he wills. And so he hardens, and so we could argue, well, first Pharaoh hardened his heart, and then God just extra hardened it. But maybe we're arguing from silence there. You know, because some of this is beyond our, it's beyond our category. Like, we actually don't know that. If God was small enough for our brain, he wouldn't be big enough for our problems. Okay, so, <laughs> but the whole point is, Paul is proving that his his doctrine of justification by faith, which is now extended to the Gentiles, does not contradict the Old Testament depiction that the Jews are God's chosen people. They still are. But now he goes on, and what's amazing is every one of you, if you're a believer, the promise of God is in you. And if you were here last week, we received afresh and anew the promise of the Father. We were clothed with power from on high. The Holy Spirit was just refilled us and re-energized us. And so this is, now the next issue that he gets into is the total freedom of God, that God is God and we're not. Verse 19, uh, will you say to me then, why does he still find fault for who can resist his will? Like some people go, well, that's not right. I just don't, I don't, I could never follow a God like that. You could watch the movie The Shack and you'll see this theology coming out of the mouth of, of the woman who plays the father. Who's, you know, I, I mean, which I'm not against the actor at all, but I'm just saying that when the man who wrote The Shack, his theology was on a journey away from biblical theology. And it's a category mistake to make, to think that God is like us. You know, who are you, O man, to answer back to God? Even Balaam, the false prophet, knew this and said to to Barak, or or to, uh, was it Zipper? Anyway, Anyway, to the king who was trying to hire him. In Numbers, he said, God is not a man that he should lie, neither the son of man that he should repent. Behold, I have received commandment to bless, and he is blessed, and I cannot reverse it. So some of this stuff, we just, it's part of worship and gratitude. 
Come on. Who are you, O man, to answer back to God? Will what is molded say to its molder, why have you made me like this? Now, I have to admit, I'm reading this in the English Standard Version, and when I got to what, mold, molded and molder, I thought, I don't want a moldy God, you know, like, like, what, but actually, so I, I thought, I wonder what the Greek word is, because, you know, I, I was used to reading it, and here's, the Greek word is plasma, where we get the English word plasma, this clear fluid <laughs> that your blood corpuscles float around in, and it's like, so what God is saying is, he says, look, you're moldable, you're pliable, you're mud, I can make anything out of you I want. And so, and he's the molder. He's the one shaping the, the plasma into what he wants. And he says, verse 21, has the potter no right over the clay? It's an issue of ownership. To make out of the same lump one vessel for honorable use and one for dishonorable use. Do we understand that? That we, we sing it. You know, I am yours, <laughs> you know. And then he, we get to say, you are mine. But we're mine, he is mine when I recognize he's my God. And I'm his beloved. But that's a different relationship. Okay, so who are you, oh man, to answer back to God? The potter can do whatever he wants with the play, and then he gets into the issue of his wrath. What if, I love this what if question, because it's kind of like, May, did you ever think of this? God desiring to show his wrath, which is just his disposition towards sin, and to make known his power, has endured with much patience vessels of wrath prepared for destruction. So these vessels, they're, they're actually playing a purpose in his role. And what's interesting is that they're, they're prepared for in, for destruction, but in verse 23, he says, it's in order to make known the riches of his glory for vessels of mercy, which he has prepared beforehand for glory. So in other words, God's saying, look, I made some choices ahead of time based on things that I can only speculate on, but I made some choices and I prepared them. The vessels of wrath, pretty much they prepared themselves. It's, it's like, it's, it's the way of, of flesh. So, and, but he prepared for glory. Now, so again, once again, we can get offended at God because he's God and we're not, or we can just say, God, thank you. I didn't deserve it, but you chose me. In fact, there's a lot of people he's chosen that don't know they're chosen, and our greatest thing we can do is share this good news everywhere we go, be his witnesses, and, and let the power of God call those, because he'll ask this in chapter 10, he said, how can they answer if no one calls? <laughs> okay, and so, so, but going on quickly. Um, are you with me? Okay, I'm, I'm doing like a survey here, but, but it's so we can see the strategy of God. So now he gets into this issue of calling, because calling, like, whoa, when you call, you summon, you know? It's not chance, it's predetermined. And so he, he gets into this next chapter of God's sovereign mercy and what he's doing with the Gentile, not next chapter, this next few verses, what he's doing with the Gentiles and what he's doing with the Jews at the time Paul's writing. Verse 24, even us whom he called, not from the Jews only, but also from the Gentiles, as he indeed says in Hosea, those who are not my people, I will call. There's that word call. I'm summoning them 
and I'm giving them a new name, my people. And to her who was not beloved, I will call my beloved. This is from Hosea 2.23. And so, I mean, but see, this was actually spoken to the northern tribes of Israel by Hosea, but Paul brings this promise through the cross and applies it to all of us, Jew and Gentile alike, to all current believers. And, and in the very place where it was said to them, you are not my people, there they will be called sons of the living God. This is powerful. In the very place you can, this applies to us. In the very place where people said, you don't belong. You don't belong here. You're not part of this family. You won't fit here. You won't last here. You'll be out of here sooner than later. If God set you, no one can upset you. In the very place where it was said of you, you will never make it here. You will never amount to anything. God will vindicate you and it will be said of you, you are the sons of the living God. You're called the sons of the living God. Not just by man, but by God. And I mean, this is a word for you. If you were put down your whole life, nobody believed in you. I mean, how many of you have had, like, like other believers, they say, I don't see anything there. And it doesn't matter, they're not supposed to. But God sees it and he called it and in the very place where it was said, not always to the very people, but so, I mean, with Israel, maybe it was talking about in the land of Israel, Haaretz, or maybe it was talking about in the land of their captivity where they would be seen as his people, such as happened with Esther and, you know, in, in Persia. Or what if it's somebody, like God brought you to Pennsylvania and people said, what are you doing here? Why don't you go back? You know, I mean, Ann and I, this is kind of personal. When we first got here, the very first people, we took our children to enroll them in a Christian school and the, the headmaster, he interviewed us. He said, I don't think they'll fit in here. We're like, whoa, that hurt our feelings. We didn't know anybody and we were kind of beat up anyway. And it's like, our kids have never been rejected from anything. And I, I mean, he may, may have very well been right. He wasn't like an evil man, but it was just like, whoo, in the very place it was said. They won't fit in here. They fit in. And then the next place we brought them to Bible Baptist Church, which was now part of the, the or Bible Baptist School. Anyway, it's part of the, whole Harrisburg area Christian school system. But this really nice lady who had moved here from Michigan said to us, we were signing papers and stuff, and she said, you guys probably won't last long here. She said, we had a really tough time. We've never been any place as tough as Pennsylvania. And, you know, which, by the way, I have a completely different opinion. But do you understand, we were being, it was being said to us, you don't belong here. So here we are. 34 years later, and I can't get out of here, you know, and I'm happy because God sent me here. And I'm just saying, and this applies to you with callings, with businesses, with dreams, with all kinds of things. I'm just saying, thank you. And now he, he turns to the Jews specifically. Verse 27, and Isaiah cries out concerning Israel, though the number of the sons of Israel be as the sentence, only a remnant will be saved. For the Lord will carry out his sentence upon the earth fully and without delay. And as Isaiah predicted, if the Lord of hosts had not left his offspring, we would have been like Sodom and become like Gomorrah. And we might think that about America right now, you know, like Jesus, help us. You know, but here's the thing, God has a plan. 
And see, I mean, even for the Jewish people, he's God. Nobody can stop him. No one can stand behind him. We were singing this. And so we come, I mean, this is really good. If you go to the back of the book and you you look in Revelation chapter 7, you will see that out of the people of Israel, natural Israel, there will be a minimum of 144,000 who are actually sealed by God. 12,000 from each tribe. I don't, I mean, God is God. I'm not, I don't, but that doesn't include all because then after, after John sees that, he turns and he sees a great multitude that no man can number, dressed in white robes with palms in their hands, crying out with a loud voice, salvation belongs to our God and to the Lamb. Come on, do you see it? I mean, so he's actually saying, don't worry, God's gonna keep all his promises. And so that, that revelation, you know, I mean, this, this vision that John had that is depicted in Revelation chapter seven is part of the answer to God's promise in Romans 11 that all Israel shall be saved. I want you to stand. And it's just, you see this, what's the point of this? That this is God's story. And if you know Jesus, if you've, met him, if he's drawn you, if he's spoken to you, if he called you to him in any way, you're part of his story. It's really his story, not our story. And if you don't know him, but you want to, there's a longing, that very longing is the call of God. He's summoning you to himself. He's saying, don't delay, don't, all the stuff you're worried about, don't worry about it. When you meet me, everything changes. I take away your sins and your sorrows, and I change you into the very ultimate best version of you, which is his image. You know, we're transformed into his image. So we were singing this last week. I just thought we would sing it as a prayer. And as we sing it, there's a refrain, catch me up into your story. Because sometimes we're like, we, we are temporarily not responding to his summons. It's kind of like we're drifting, we're out of his story because when we're in his story, there's like, there's wind at our back. There's power in our words and our prayers and doors open for us that are the right doors and the blessings of God, every blessing in heavenly places belongs to us. And I'm just saying that as we sing it, I want, I think it's a summons and I, I would like as you sing it, if you, if you feel an urge to, a desire to, I'd like you to come forward. We're going to sing this as, as a, first as a chorus and then as a prayer of consecration. And I just believe the glory of God, this is like part two of the baptism of the Holy Spirit and the power of the Holy Spirit from last week. Are you with me? So I'm going to get out of the way and let the worship team sing. And if you want to come up in the front, I mean, there's a lot of Jesus up here at the front. I'll tell you that. (laughs) So put me anywhere. Just put your glory in me. And I'll serve anywhere. Just let me see your beauty. So put me anywhere. Just put your glory in me. And I'll serve anywhere. Let me see your beauty So catch me up in your story all my life 
story is so much better than our story. Like, you couldn't write his story for your life, but sometimes we get discouraged by difficulties and negative people and, and temporary setbacks and disappointments or things that we have no answer for. But I'm telling you, if we, we cry out, this is a prayer, catch me up in your story all my life for your glory. That's our gift to him. So let's sing it again. Then we'll sing the, the refrain as a very specific prayer of consecration. put us anywhere and we'll do anything. We will not complain about his ways, but we will give thanks for his mercy that called us out of darkness into his marvelous light, that we were once not a people and now we're his people. So let's sing this as a prayer. We'll, we'll repeat it several times. It's like a prayer of commitment to him.
conscience-bearing witness in the Holy Spirit, saying, God, this is what we want. These are the terms and the conditions that we come to you and we ask you, even as you poured out your Spirit on us, as you clothed us in power, as you've anointed us, as you opened doors, as you, as you, your glory is on us, that we would be very aware it's your story. And that we respond to your summons. We respond not by chance, but by your design to fulfill your calling and your purpose, to carry the good news everywhere we go, to live it, to raise children who, with godly standards, to, to let your word saturate us and shape our worldview and our behavior to correct us and change us and empower us that we would overflow with hope and joy in Jesus' name. And I just want to bless you and have to send you out. I don't want to get in trouble and have the sign come up, parents, go get your kids, okay? So, oh, Jesus, thank you. God, we thank you that you are, Jesus, you are the answer. You are the yes to every promise. And we ask you, to bless and keep Yahweh, Yahweh, the self-existent one, bless you and keep you and make his face, his presence, his glory shine upon you and be gracious to you. May you always be aware that his face is turned toward you, that he's in this with you. He's, he'll finish what he started that he's listening for your prayers and may his shalom, his perfect peace that passes understanding be on you as you carry his name, the name of Jesus, the name Yeshua, everywhere you go in his holy name. Can you say amen? Amen. Amen. God bless you and I have to dismiss you. But I, you know, there's healing here, there's breakthrough here, there's prayer here. If you, if you just want to come forward and connect more, you're welcome to, to come to stand before God or to come to a person and ask for prayer. Amen. Love you. God's doing good things. <laughs> Amen.